This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, a prime cut of Premier League fixtures to chew through. The Villa is now officially a fortress, 14 home wins on the spin and Manchester City tempting us into saying there is a title race. Elsewhere, the voice note machine is being cranked up after Fulham caused a forest fire at the cottage. Even the best guy on the planet can't help Sheffield United to a win. We'll rehash some of the age-old favourites. Is Scott McTominay good? What's going on with Arsenal's goalkeepers? And do Chelsea need to sign some more players? Meanwhile, in the Nations League, there's no eye team and no team GB at the Olympic Games despite England hammering Scotland at Hampden Park all of that plus your questions and that's today's Cardian Football Weekly our panel today Will Unwin good morning good morning Robin and good morning to Noradine Chowdhury hello and Johnny Liu in a hotel room with no chair yeah I, I, I'm, I, I'm up in, in Manchester and as much as I would love to have a chair I don't that seems like quite a big omission from a hotel room, but uh no, that's not the only thing that's missing. Also the shower the shower <laughs> dripped all night and kept me up. That sounds like a classic my cousin Vinny sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, well jo- Joel's just said this is the most northern pod football weekly ever and that's kind of we're really starting well aren't we um before we begin uh, a huge thank you to all of our listeners who voted for the pod at the football supporters association awards uh, one best podcast once again uh, and i can only assume that max and barry are still on the open bus tour uh, that's why they're unavailable for this pod so lots to get through let's start at old trafford so-called crisis club manchester united 2 chelsea 1 and johnny you're up north you're at old trafford how was it very good game. I mean, I think United were superb. Uh, they obviously missed a penalty early on. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they just started with this kind of re- in this relentless attacking mode. The crowd got into it and, and they, they didn't really kind of let up. And, and the only times when, um, you know, when they did let up was when Chelsea just kind of inexplicably just managed to run through them and have a four on two counterattack, which they would then inevitably mess up. Um, and I think that's the that's the kind of the bargain, the Faustian deal that you're getting with with Manchester United, and especially with um, Scott McTominay, who's proving so effective as that sort of extra man in the box, and and you know popped up with um, a goal in each half, could even have had a hat trick. Actually, uh, he was joking afterwards about how he I've kind of blew his hat trick, and he's he's playing so well in that role because Ten Hag is basically got him to be that that agent of chaos in the final third, you know, be the extra man, be the overload, uh, make those runs. And, you know, the, the, the upshot is that it's, it's kind of leaving them short in midfield and that's why, why Chelsea kept countering them and, and uh, Nicholas Jackson had a bit of a mare. I thought Cole Palmer was actually very poor until uh, his very good goal, his equaliser. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it was one of those games where I thought 4-1 wouldn't have been a weird result and also 1-1. Um, that's just kind of where these two teams are at at the moment. Just two very weird teams. But but United, I, th- I think, as, like, they're quietly building something. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like there's something coming together with an extra dripping shower, perhaps. Um, but yes, <laughs> uh, Shane says, at what point is uh, is Scott McTominay genuinely in the Ballon d'Or conversation? Um, Noz, this was actually a good Manchester United performance, which must be very disconcerting for you. It is, yeah. I mean, we're not used to. I mean, I, I think this might be the first game of the season where it's been like a complete. Uh, performance finished to end, which was half decent. Um, it was it was a really good game, but part of that is obviously because both teams are are sort of uh, to, to a certain extent inept. So, so so it's kind of like you don't know if it's a good game because teams are playing well or both teams are equally sort of uh, frail. But uh, yeah, it was end to end, and and United played well in general. Um, uh, McTominay. Is is on fire. Uh, he's he's actually always been like a good finisher. Um, I don't think that's that's the issue with him. It's it's more a case of whether he can do a job in midfield. But maybe t- maybe Ten Hag has find has found a solution to, to to how to use him and the current problems in in terms of like he seems to be the only player who when the ball comes to him you kind of have a half United have have half a chance of scoring. So. He he did he did well in that respect. Um, I thought I thought it was Amrabat's best game for United. Um, he's had a few good games at fullback, but um, um, when when United signed him, uh, the hope was that he'd be a bit of a bully in the middle, which which he was, and he did that really well in this game. But um, but yeah, there, there was still the amount of times United were wide open, and and it was just Chelsea being poor. Um, that that they didn't take advantage of that, but uh, no, really enjoyed it. Like like may it continue. Like if if if, if the Faustian Pact is that there's this sort of game where at least it's not turgid and either team could win. Like bring it on. And will they are United now three points off the top four, three points off Manchester City. How has this happened? Where's the narrative? Just willing to pass on the crisis baton over Manchester United for you know. For so long in the Premier League, you know, when they won five out of six, they were grinding out results. I was at Luton at home and they were poor, they were slow, but they got a result. And getting results is all that matters in football. And getting results builds confidence. And at some point, I felt it was going to click. And maybe last night was it. I was at Galatasaray away. And going forward, they were really good. But the midfield was mildly farcical, which didn't help. And obviously the goalkeeper... But they've got those elements and I think Rashford being out of the team has helped. I think he's lacked energy and efficiency and overall competence on the left. And Garnacho brought all of that yesterday. And they do have a decent squad. And if they get together and work how they're supposed to and have the the natural X factor that is Scott McTominay, you're always in with a chance of of beating teams because... You know he is you know he is the agent of chaos, as Johnny says, bringing in that extra element in the box, running from deep, being a surprise, and so they do have all the tools that they need. They probably just needed that extra bit of confidence and I think a bit of faith in their own ability because they've really struggled with that, especially in Europe when you've seen them and defensively they're looking a little bit more competent. There was say Amrabat played well; it was his best game because his other games are pretty terrible. To be fair. But having a midfield would be a useful skill for United from, you know, the start of the season when Wolves just walks through them. <laughs> you know, it's not really being addressed too well. Um, but yeah, it's getting there with Amrabat, Mainu looking decent when he's played. But obviously you can't rely on an 18-year-old defensive midfielder to solve all your problems. And you know, the problem with United now is that they've had a few false starts that they, they need to kick on and, you know, carry on this 
this form from Wednesday night. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think perhaps the results and the, the sort of chaotic performances in the Champions League have sort of clouded where they are in the Premier League because, they're, yeah, they're, they're a lot a lot better off there. Um, you alluded to it, Johnny. I mean, Chelsea, what on earth do you, do you make of them as a team? They've now lost 17 of 38 league fixtures in, in 2023. Do they need to keep trusting the process with, with Pochettino now? I think so. I mean, Pochettino said after Newcastle, the Newcastle game with the lost 4-1, that it was the only, it was the only game he thought they deserved to lose. Uh, and I think this was this, this was another one. I mean, they, they 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 look like a team that are just you know they're two or three steps away from clicking. And and when it when it all make you know when it all makes sense, like and at times this season it has made sense. You know the the City game, which they the four all, which certainly in an attacking sense. Um, they they managed to get those you know they managed to play through the press and co- you know kind of coordinate um, you know their counter attacks in a way that that actually they didn't they really didn't hear they would often you know they would break three or four on two and you know you'd have Jackson and Mudrick and Sterling or Sterling all running around and they didn't they weren't kind of coordinating with each other you didn't get the sense that they were anticipating each other's movements you, you got the sense that they were they were kind of reacting to each other which is still the hallmark of a team i think that is is getting to know each to get to know each other's movement and and at the back i think they're all off you know they're all working at slightly different paces um Kukurea started at right back which i thought was a strange one he he came off Reese James who I, I didn't think was much better i thought Enzo and and Caicedo had a really Enzo had a really poor game in midfield and you know this has been this has been Chelsea they haven't managed to put all the constituent parts together um, I, I really I like them. I think they're a lot of fun, um, and I think there are a lot of neutrals enjoy watching Chelsea. But I think Chelsea fans are getting quite frustrated with how they are. You know, they're being so open, and they're kind of they're almost you know they're going into, into games, they're going at teams with abandon, um, but not getting the rewards at, at, at the you know at the attacking end of the pitch, and not not being able to keep them out at the, at the defensive end of the pitch either. That old proverb comes to mind: if Manchester United win but there's no one there to report it. Did it actually happen? Yes, in a very, uh, definitely not a club in crisis move, Manchester United banned journalists from four media outlets from Tuesday's news conference uh, pre-match with Eric Ten Hag. Before we go any further, have any of you um, thinking, Will, or uh, I'd be very disappointed, Johnny, if you'd never been banned from a press conference, surely, in your time? Um, I I got banned uh, by Leicester a few years ago for calling Jamie Vardy a racist. Really, it was never formally lifted, but uh, I am kind of welcome back now. It's a it's a badge of honor, right? I think if you're one of the the outlets that got banned, you know, you, you feel like you've taken one for journalism, while in fact just getting a morning off work. <laughs> but not 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 a great look, is it, when clubs start doing that? No, it's not. But then you kind of with 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 United, it's always a case. You wonder is it is it slightly a case of Fergie cosplay? Where it's like we all we all know how what Fergie was like when 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 he came up against journalists he didn't like so yeah maybe there's a bit of that but uh, but yeah like like who do you blame do you blame the journalist who's just uh, reporting what the source said or do you, or do you look at who the source might be and and, and what the problems are in the dressing room but uh, yeah um, it's all it's all fun and games and and yeah as as, as Johnny said it's uh, it's it's nice for journalists to feel as if they're sort of fighting the good fight and. Uh, and and almost too dangerous to to sort of be there. Mm, mm, yeah, uh, they said it wasn't for publishing stories we didn't like, but for doing so without contacting us first to give us the opportunity to comment, challenge, or contextualize. 
Uh, I'm not sure you can give some insight into this, Will. Obviously, I mean, that seems like a kind of fairly reasonable thing to ask. How does the how do these things work generally? Yeah, if you have a story, the general rule is that you go to the club and you explain what it is and that you're going to publish it and you give them a reasonable amount of time to come back at you. There's no need for an official statement with a story like this, so I can see why it wasn't done. Generally, banning journalists is just a dreadful idea. It just highlights the story even more. It's a massive overreaction. And you have to accept what is a free and fair press. You know the journalists that are involved are very good at their jobs, so it's likely to be a very good story. And United flying off the handle, I don't think, helps them at all. And obviously, historically, they've been very good at it. Um, even if it, in the good old days, it wasn't the director of communications that did it. But yeah, so hopefully the journalists will take their one-match ban and no more will happen. You know, the best way to uh, silence journalists that are critical of your club is to win football matches. So I'd advise Manchester United to do more of that. Robin, have you ever been banned? As, as no club, as a, as a club ever kind of taken issue at, at your commentary or, or you know how you've how you've presented them? Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that, but uh, news hasn't reached me. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely certain. No, I'm, I know um, past experience that they they do sometimes bring it up. Oh, I didn't like the way you said that. Um, I think yeah, a certain current Palace manager in particular <laughs> seems to watch match of the day quite quite diligently <laughs> but more on that later uh, to Villa Park Aston Villa 1 Manchester City nil. we will of course talk about the, the new crisis club in Manchester but let's start with Aston Villa uh, Stuart says our Villa in the title picture um, exceptional performance from them uh, they're now just four points off Arsenal who are top Noz is it time that we took them seriously as not just Champions League contenders, title contenders, Aston Villa. I mean, why not? Uh, I I remember when I first got into football, like like Villa Villa were right up there when uh, teams were allowed back into Europe. Um, Villa were with a team in the European Cup, so yeah, bring it all back, bring Mita copiers back and all that business. So uh, no, I'm 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 right up for it. I mean, to to, to be to be fair, like even top four would be amazing, um, and. Uh, I think I think Villa have kind of replaced Brighton in that. Um, do you know you've always got that club in the Premier League that are like the barometer of like if you do things well and you, and if you organise as a club and you do, if you do everything the right way, it's almost a um, you almost um, compare bigger uh, bigger clubs with more money to them and kind of say well well why can't why can't Manchester United do it or why can't um, whoever Newcastle or or, or or Liverpool do it if Villa are doing it. Um, I think I think Villa have actually replaced Brighton as, as as a as a club who are doing everything right or or they seem to be at the moment. And 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 quite apart from the results and the amazing home form, like they they just they're just fun to watch. Um, they they're at risk of becoming that dreaded everyone's second favorite team. Uh, but yeah, it was it was really good and. Um, by all accounts, they were the 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 result flattered sitter. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, perhaps the biggest thing they've done uh, well is dispensing of Stephen Gerrard and getting Unai Emery. This is his first win over Pep Guardiola in quite a few attempts. Uh, Aston Villa had twenty two shots to Manchester City's two two attempts. Will the whole game? I think we've attempted more during the first half of this pod. 
Yeah, and yeah, we've had more on target in terms of our, our views and City. Mm. Um, yeah, and those two shots came in the matter of about 10 seconds as well in the, the one good attack that City produced. I mean, it was it was mildly laughable, the difference in quality between the two teams. And I don't watch Aston Villa every week, but you listen to you know what Andy Townsend do, I'm sure does much far more than I do. Leon Bailey was incredible, but that was his best game. So if you can... Get, get him to do that every week, then yeah, you've got to say they've got the level of players that can reach the top four. They've got Ollie Watkins, who's a striker that scores goals, which is a very sensible policy to have as a football club. Across the back four, didn't really give Erling Haaland a sniff. I know he didn't get much service, but you know, incredible performance there. Lucas Dinu getting down the left was very good. John McGinn in midfield, Luke Douglas Weiss, they're all really, you know, having a really good season. The, the age-old question will be, for Villa is whether they can maintain it with Thursday nights and weekend football. And so you might have to, you know, review the matter in March to see where they all are. But, you know, it's a sensible club that have created a diligent recruitment plan, brought in players for the right roles, done their research to make sure they fit in. And, you know, they all knit into a system that Unai Emery wants to play. You know, maybe if Steven Gerrard was there, they'd be top of the league by now. But who knows? Who knows? Um but yeah, it's an incredible job that he's done. And if you know, if you watch that game last night, <laughs> we're told that that team won the treble. One team won the treble last season, and uh, one team, you know, was <laughs> looking at relegation in about October. You'd uh, you'd be surprised to find out the answer of which was which. But yeah, it's incredible from Villa and City. Uh, yeah, really, really struggling at the moment, as Guardiola said. I think mean, you know, this is that words are struggling, and it's you know, it's a few chickens coming home to roost that Guardiola likes to have a small squad. So when you have a few injuries and a couple of suspensions, it really does you know show up, especially when one of those suspended is Rodri. Um, last season, he got five bookings. His fifth booking came in late April. He's already got five this season and sending off. And you know what are the reasons behind that? I think he's played a lot of games, so he's a lot, a lot more tired. So that's an issue for him, and might explain why he's getting bookings. But also. The loss of Ilkay Gundogan in that midfield, I think, is very, very stark and not finding an. It's obviously impossible to find an exact replacement, but you know, Kovacic isn't that guy. Nunes has struggled with a step up from Wolves to City, and it'll take time. Like you know, most Guardiola signers, it does quite often take a season um, for players to resettle. And you know, Nunes is probably suffering from the fact that Jeremy Doku looks like the the greatest winger to uh, ever grace this earth. But yeah, it's. You know, City say there are reasons why this is happening. You can see that, and it is a case of getting players back and getting that form back because City were excellent in the sort of run up to those three draws and now the loss. You know, beating United easily, beating Bournemouth six one. So, yeah, it's up to Guardiola to you know get it, get them refreshed and ready to go for Luton away before you know the Club World Cup comes around, which is a it, an interesting one to sort of break up the season. So. Yeah, fun few weeks ahead for City. Yeah, four games without a win. I mean, by their standards, that is a pretty incredible slump. And I'm sure you're in lots of City WhatsApp groups, Will, because because you're a fan, of course. And I mean, is there anyone tempted to ring up Five Live and call Pepper Fraud and say that he needs to go? Uh, you, you think I'm more popular than I am. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think if, if anyone phoned up and asked for Pep to go, it'd be impressive. Yeah, look, the performances are bad tonight. Oh, was it, some, happens. Last, it happens. Last night, <laughs> last night was a really bad performance. And as I say, there are reasons behind it. It's, I, it's not like the players, they're all available and they're all playing poorly. Yeah, everyone played poorly last night. 
I don't think anyone comes out with any much credit. Edison made a couple of saves. I mean, Fodum's awful. Bernardo's, I'm so quick running through it, but they're all ter- terrible. No, I did see someone tweet that it was a worse than any performance they saw under Pellegrini, which I thought was quite funny. Um, yeah, you know, City will come back. They'll win more games. They'll finish first or second, you know. That's football for you. Let's all relax. Let's have a nice time. Christmas is coming up. Don't stress yourself over losing against a really good Aston Villa team. You know, well, you know, obviously, if you lose away to Villa, that ruins your Christmas and you might as well give up. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. It's football. Football is the king of short-termism. Um, I'd probably not worry too much. Well, speaking of not uh, stressing yourself out, um, in other news, Manchester City have been charged by the Football Association following the furious confrontation with the referee Simon Hooper. Uh, They were charged on Monday by the FA, um, but Haaland has escaped censure under the FA's regulations around media use, uh, which allow players to use social media after a game to criticise match officials' performance or competence. Uh, Only when a criticism implies bias or attacks the official's integrity uh, can charges be considered. So WTF uh, was a judge to fall outside those criteria. So we see a flurry of those coming, I think. Uh, That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll continue to wade through the other Premier League midweek fixtures. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, a Luton 3, Arsenal 4. A cruel end to the game once again for Luton. A last-minute winner from Declan Rice in the 97th minute. This was lots of fun, though, wasn't it, Nas? Oh, it was, it was amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those games where it's great to have Twitter open at the same time because you kind of, like, it, just just when people, like, everyone, like, all the rival fans of, of, of Arsenal are really enjoying a goal, like, suddenly they score and it's they all shut up. But it was it, it was an amazing game. One, one thing that I was a slight surprise to me and maybe it shouldn't have been is is there was a lot of thirst for for Rob Edwards on 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 social media like he's a, I didn't realize how much of a heartthrob he is oh yeah no he's if you he's like he looks like those if you buy a photo he's the stock image in like the photo frame yeah. isn't he I, I i i get that but but by the same token to me his good looks are almost baddie good looks like like the like the bully in in the high school film so um oh, yeah no it's, you get it's that vibe. I, yeah I do, I, I do it's it's almost like he's too good looking he's got a square jaw like the perfect here so so no that that was a that was a slight surprise to me but um but yeah no it was it, it was an it was an amazing game and uh yeah, I I continue to be impressed by Declan Rice. Like it's not as, it's not as if he had his best game, but he's one of these players now. I think that um, always, whenever you need him, he turns up with something. Whether whether that's sort of like a run breaking through the lines or or an important goal. Like he was he was one of those players where he when he was at West Ham, and again this this says more about me than it does him. Where I didn't quite get the hype, I was like, "What? What is a Declan Rice like? What? What is so special about him? Why does everyone want him?" And now, 
it's it's obvious even to me that that he's 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 one of those talisman players, um, and he's almost he's almost developed this um, as, as as well as everything else. Uh, this almost uh, Steven Gerrard sort of quality of uh, coming up with big moments. I think you're almost not allowed to be impressed by someone who cost over £100 million, which is ridiculous, but it's like they have to do something really, really special, like start levitating or something. I think he's also disar- he's also disarming. He doesn't he doesn't come across as, like, uh, a superstar. And, and, and you've seen him when he does his, like, uh, daft things, like being surprised and doing his little uh, skits for, for, the, for the England camp. So, so, so like... He's a uh, he's half like potentially world class midfielder and half uh, CBBC <laughs> presenter. So that's something that I've had to reconcile oh, in my head. Get him on bedtime story. That'll be the next one. Love that. <laughs> um, so another late winner this time for for Arsenal. Um, to add to the list, eighty ninth minute winner at Brentford. Equaliser late one at Chelsea. Uh, Eighty six minute winner at City. Um, winners against United in 96th and 101st minutes as well. Johnny, it's the age-old question. Is it the mark of champions that they get the job done or is it slightly concerning that there's quite a lot of jeopardy in these games, it seems, with Arsenal? Yeah, this, I mean, this is the eternal debate. I think it's a testament to their fitness. I think it's a testament to their um, to the mentality because these things become self-prophesying after a while. Uh, if if, if you, you you score a few late goals and you, you begin to expect them and... Uh, you know, everyone remembers the Bournemouth game, for example, last season, and you know that that late winner, uh, and that you almost kind of portend them. Opposition fans do, and opposition teams begin, you know, they, they begin to get a little jittery. Um, I mean, I think that the the really encouraging thing for Arsenal is is the way that different players have kind of stepped up. So Odegaard, who who I thought was was sensational in the second half, um, you know, who I, I thought maybe had gone slightly off the boil last few weeks. Uh, you know, he's come back uh, with a vengeance. Martinelli, um, you know, he, he's back in the goals. And, and whereas like the early part of the season was kind of all about Saka and, and, and Nketiah. Now, now Jesus has come back. He's got a goal. And, uh, you know, th- th- there, there are different different parts of the team are are contributing at at the times they're needed, and I think that's a that's the sign of a of a really well oiled machine. We don't, you know, we talked about Chelsea earlier, where the, the the constituent parts don't seem to be working together. Arsenal is one of those teams where what whatever they they need, they they almost kind of reverse engineer what they need to do, what they do from what they need to do. So whoever basically needs to step up steps up. Uh, and that, that's you know this unquantifiable thing in in football. You know how do you you know, it's, I guess in other sports, you'd call it clutch. Uh, and Arsenal are doing that. I think, you know, there is there is still a concern that their top level is, is not going to be enough to get to, you know, 95 points if, it, if it's one of those, you know, really high quality title races. But I think they've they've definitely got more than enough to get to 90. That that may just be enough for them this season. And I think they're, they're, the level of their lowest performances has has really risen this season. You, you know, you're not getting many stinkers out of them. Uh, that consistency, I think, I think is is a good thing, um, especially at this at this stage of the season. Uh, Jim says, did anyone else enjoy Amazon showing the mistakes that Ryan made for Luton's second and third goals? Then cutting back to a smiling Ramsdale on the bench, uh, top top contribution to the narrative. That yeah, I think we need a Ramsdale cam now, don't we? I mean, this is becoming quite just it's a story that keeps rumbling on and. Well, I'm not sure. Should should Arteta get some criticism for the way this has been handled? Because it seems now they both look shaky when they play. 
I don't think he should get criticism. He's made a decision and a strong decision that he wanted another goalkeeper that slightly different to Ramsdale and who he thinks is an upgrade. The only thing he needs to decide really is say, look, that's my number one. And go if you want to go. Well, he's not done, done well, though, that, has he? That's the well, thing that is yes. he's a bit bit woolly. It, it is a bit woolly, but he really he's not said it in public. But Raya's clearly the number one. I mean, Ramsdale's played when Raya wasn't available against Brentford, and not much else. It's you know it is what it is, but you've got to accept that Raya is the number one, and if he's probably just more nervous about the fact that he has got someone that's a number two behind him. And once you start making mistakes, as Andrea and Anna will tell you, you're going to keep making them. And that's just the nature. And if you're going to, he's not chopping and changing them unless completely necessary. So I think we just have to accept Ray as number one and move on and try and sell Ramsdale in January to Newcastle or something like that. Because no point having your second choice goalkeeper giggling on the bench. I'd like to continue to see his reactions, though. Maybe he's just like having a full picnic smorgasbord on the it's bench next co- time. A couple of cans, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be great. I reckon we should have had a, like, a Max cam today. <laughs> just, 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 with, just with you sort of like uh, doing so well in, 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 in his absence. I'm putting my, he's putting his hands above his head and clapping me. Make a good, good point, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but inside he's dying. <laughs> Max, Max will be back on Monday. This is not a coup. Um, Arteta was booked uh, for leaving his technical area after the last minute winner uh, so that's his third booking so he'll be missing from the touchline for their game at Villa the sound of the celebration police again Noz we can't keep a, keep them down can we it's 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 so funny like like I, I just don't I don't understand it like like we celebration police was obviously all about rival fans saying why are you celebrating it's only whoever and and now like referees have got involved and and I genuinely like like I'm not joking like I don't understand the celebration thing with Arteta, like, what was the problem? Was it the fact that it can't be affecting the game because the game can go on? Like, like Arteta could have been doing like a whole sort of routine, and and the game could still still have been going on like uh, like uh, while he was doing that. So it's not to, it's not to sort of delay the game. Uh, there's something in the rule about choreo, choreo, something being choreographed, and it wasn't choreographed. It was just a, uh, it was just being happy. Um, so it, it's it's such a. It's such a strange one, but what it what it has done is it's given us um, Arsenal fans being disgruntled and and looking through the archives and finding uh, celebrations by managers and sort of like there's a deserve one going around of like, well, is this allowed and what is the sort of barometer? But yeah, I I, I don't understand what what got the officials unhappy about it. Is is it is it the length of the celebration? Is it the amount of joy? Is is there a are they sort of trying to curtail the amount of joy? Because, yeah, I think, uh, and also the thing with Arteta is when he celebrates, he doesn't do that happy celebration. He does that kind of angry celebration of like proving people wrong and being re- very masculine about it. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't quite understand why he got done for it, but it's it's uh, as a neutral, it's slightly funnier. It is actually because yeah, you're right. Is there a criteria set criteria? I think it was technically because he left his technical area, which is something obviously that everyone's very 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 upset about whenever he does it. It should be adjusted to the size of the technical area. Kettleworth Road is, you know, it's a tiny pitch. It's a very cramped ground. You know, 
it's it's a, this it's a, it's a very small technical area. Whereas uh, at West Ham, for example, at the London Stadium, if you leave your technical anywhere any reason, if you leave your technical area at West Ham, it's that should be an instant two match touchline ban. There's no need to leave mm. that area. Whereas I think Kenilworth Road, it's, it's slightly more understandable. Uh, have have the you know have the Premier League have they you know adjusted for you know what's the XL you know X T A L X expected technical area leaving. Uh, metric, you know, for each technical area. These are the things we need to know because this is mm. this is how humanity grows and prospers. <laughs> Maybe there could be a technical area, but then outside of that, there could be a celebration area, <laughs> yes. like, like a mosh pit, like a mosh <laughs> pit. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Love that idea. Uh, let's move on to uh, Craven Cottage, uh, Fulham five, Nottingham Forest nil. We'll start with. The big winners here, Fulham, they were brilliant. Biggest Premier League win since August 2012. Raul Jimenez scoring twice. Uh, he struggled so far this season for his second. He rounds the keeper and scores a delicious uh, back heel. And, Will, we haven't seen that sort of confidence from him consistently, actually, since before that awful head injury. So that's from the neutral perspective. That was really lovely to see, actually. Yeah, you know, using incredible form prior to the head injury and since mm. then he's really struggled to get back and obviously never going to know exactly whether it's confidence and you know fear of you know going into these games but once you say we've discussed confidence a lot it really does help you if you if you're if you are willing to go around the goalkeeper and back heel it in then you're probably in a good place in, in your life and football it's, it's yeah, it's nice to see because he does. You know, it, did, it was a long road back. Anyone that has that sort of lengthy time out is bad. And you've seen players that have suffered similar injuries, like Ryan Mason, that couldn't come back, and you, which makes it even more understandable that Raúl Jiménez has taken time to adapt and recover, and you know, un, you know, get back to playing the way he can do. And he's had to move clubs now, and obviously different environment there. And you know, it's, it's not like it sort of. <laughs> was great from the start at Fulham. It's taken time, but he's getting games, and you know it's a big job as well at Fulham to replace Mitrovic. And it was a very sort of short notice that he was off. So yeah, no, it's fantastic to see, and you know Fulham playing some some good football, and Marco Silva's doing a great job down there, and it'll be it'll be very safe and comfortable, and they'll have a nice mid-table season. It looks like so, you know they can they can back. Back a little more in from zero yards because they won't get relegated, it's fine. No, it doesn't seem so. Another really good performance from Andreas Pereira as well. Um, Forrest, on the other hand, they've lost their last four, conceding 12 goal- goals in the process. Uh, image of the night goes to Don Manning on X, who posted a picture of owner Evangelos Marinakis, his press pass that was jammed in a hedge uh, outside Craven Cottage. Now, I might be reading it too much into this, Johnny, but I'm not sure that's a good sign for Steve Cooper's future. Yeah, all, all of the kind of stories in the papers that he's, you know, he's going to be sacked. Maybe, you know, maybe even as soon as this week. Uh, Lopetegui's been mentioned. Marco Marco Silva actually uh, is is a, is a, a coach that they like. You know, not not that I think Fulham would would want to let him go. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it is a good side. And obviously, there's there's a it's a strange thing this season because Forest fans, you know, they have been really clear about where uh, where their loyalties lie. They've been singing Cooper's name. They, they you know they even sang his name after you know a five nil road defeat uh, in, in midweek. And I think that that shows you know he's clearly a good coach and he's clearly a decent guy. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think he's necessarily blameless for this. You know, everyone talks about the chaos and, you know, the 40 players coming in or whatever. Ultimately, it's Cooper's job to to get a team, you know, in 
to get a team out on the pitch that, that basically looks like they they know what they're doing. And and at times Forest have, and at times they haven't. And I think it's it's been the goals they're shipping in, in recent games. What Forest have kind of never really done for me is that they've never kind of tried to really convince me of how they how they actually want to play they've switched between formations they switch between goalkeepers obviously you know that massive personnel coming in and out but i've never really got a defined kind of identity or playing style well you know but i but do they want to be a sort of a, a pragmatic close down the space kind of team do they want to be an expansive kind of team i don't think i don't think cooper's ever kind of managed to to reconcile those two poles and and come up with a kind of a coherent identity um and obviously you know circumstances make make that a lot harder um but you know I, I, as much as I, I think you know he's a decent guy and uh not not knowing him obviously I don't, I don't know him uh I can't make a judgment on his character but he seems like a decent bloke and a decent coach um this is kind of the the way of things you know you are you are a slave to results and and Forrest just haven't been good enough recent, recently uh, to Crystal Palace they lost 2-0 uh, to Bournemouth I was there and it was grim uh they were Really, really bad. Uh, Crystal Palace, nothing in attack. Um, Bournemouth were good enough. Didn't really have to be that good, though, to beat Palace. So Bournemouth building, actually, they kept their nerve with Iriola. Possibly could have pulled the trigger on him, but they're now unbeaten in four. Three wins and nine points clear of the relegation zone. Um, there were lo- lots of booing at half-time and full-time. Uh, one point from games against Everton, Luton, West Ham and Bournemouth and it's Liverpool and Manchester City in their next two games. And Noz, I'm not sure what you made of this. I don't know if you saw, but Roy Hodgson after the game saying that fans have been spoiled in recent years. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by Roy, Roy Hodgson because on the one hand, he seems like such a genial, lovely chap, but like I think there's a slight element of brick top about him. Um, he's he he's got like this old school gangster type sort of like speaking very sort of like uh, uh, softly spoken but sort of like with a menace like it's it's the way it's the way he said the fans have been spoiled in recent times it's the way he sort of <laughs> I think I think more more than one occasion he called Bournemouth a little club or something that was a bit strange yeah that's right <laughs> and yeah. then and then somebody mentioned that uh, that a bottle had been thrown in his direction and he said something like. What you mean to tell me a fella's unhappy with me? Well, I'll definitely, definitely won't sleep well tonight. And I'm like, what? What is all this sass? It's kind, of, it's, it's kind of like this. Um, he's, he's kind of gone to war, like with the Palace fans, and it's a. Uh, I'm not sure it's the best, best tactic, but I mean, who knows? Like, like he, maybe he's, maybe, maybe he'll turn it around, and 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 the fans will be fine. But there's not a. There's not a great atmosphere around Palace at the moment, and and it's and it's I think it's one of those fan bases that if you get them behind you, they're amazing, but you do not want to get on 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 the wrong side of them, or and you certainly don't want to kind of go to war with them publicly, which uh, which yeah, which brick top Hodgson seems to have done at the moment. <laughs> he doesn't like he's he might be packing, doesn't he? Like you just wouldn't be that surprised if he he's kind of unleashed something from his uh, from his coat. Yeah, th- this was a man who squared up to a player earlier on this season. It's been quite the quite the time uh, for for Roy Hodgson, um, and actually the talk of the gantry because I'm not in the know at all. But uh, just a couple of the guys up there were saying that Doogie Friedman really covered Steve Cooper, and I think they were trying to get him after Patrick Vieira because ah. they thought he was going to be sacked by Nottingham Forest. So could we see that happening? Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, th- I think that would be a. I think it would be a. You know, a really great move. Obviously, um, Hodgson always, you know, has never felt like more than a stopgap. And uh, you know, he's done he's done 
a decent job, I think. Uh, and but there is so, there is so much more. I think you know there is so much more that that Palace can be as a, as a kind of a story. You know, this is a, a a really kind of authentic South London club that that draws a lot of its um, you know a lot of its players and a lot of its pride and a lot of its identity from the local community. You've got this, you know, Croy, like this, this guy from Croydon managing his, almost his hometown club. You know, there, there should be kind of an excitement about this. And but the, the problem with Hodgson is that uh, he's clearly, you know, a very, very smart guy who needs to be taken, you know, he, he, he feels like he needs to get the credit for being smart at all times. And when, you know, when you're kind of perennially 14th in the Premier League, it kind of looks, it feels like you're going nowhere. Uh, and there are not many opportunities to prove your genius. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, that, that's basically the problem. You, 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 need a, you need a coach. I mean, we, we talked about Ange at Spurs. Oh, here we go. People love it when you talk about Ange, Johnny. They love it. Yeah, I know, yeah. I don't, yeah, I mean, people, people have, people just, just, they really just want to hear more about me on Ange, I think. Um, but, you know, that there, there is, one of the reasons he's so popular is that he kind of sells, he sells a dream. He sells a vision. You know, you're not actually going anywhere in a, you know, uh, if you're, if you're a mid-table club like Palace or Wolves, they'll be fine, right? Um, but you need to, you need to sell a journey. You need to sell some kind of hope. And Hodgson has never kind of, he's never bought into that. He's like, well, you know, when I was, if you, if you take a 30 year span of Palace history, actually, you know, they've, they've been in the top division, uh, actually not for, not for a huge amount of time. So you should, and that is just not how, how fandom works. I don't know how long it is, has been, you know, it's been since Hodgson has actually been a fan. Um, but, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't get the, a coach of a, of a Premier League club with such a, like a strong tie to its, its local community needs to, needs to offer something more than just well we've we've delivered seven straight quarters of economic growth it's it's basically that in 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 managerial form <laughs> you'll never yeah. see that <laughs> uh, you know then he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't get what what you know what this job is about weirdly enough um so uh, you know palace probably need to find someone who can who who does get it uh, sheffield united nil liverpool 2 uh, chris wilder's return ends in defeat um well i mean He's come in for Paul Heckingbottom. Perhaps they're hoping for a bit of a managerial bounce and the fact he's been there before. I mean, it sort of makes sense, but do you give them any chance of improving on their position? Yeah, he, he lives nearby, so that's, that helps. <laughs> he was that in was, the area. That was, that was convenient. <laughs> um, yeah, Sheffield United are going down. Let's all accept this. Um, there's no chance of staying up. They tried really hard last night and it wasn't good enough against Liverpool who weren't playing particularly well. They don't have the quality in the team. They don't have anyone that's going to score the goals to get them out of it. They don't have the quality in from goalkeeper right through the team. They sold the best two players on the eve of the season. They've tried to replace them with players that are, I would argue, slightly inferior. Um, they're going to try really hard for the rest of the season. They're going to come up a bit short because they're not a Premier League team, unfortunately. And that's the... That's the nature of what's happening at Bramall Lane. And I'm sure Chris Wilder will get the best out of them because that's the sort of coach he is. And he did very well there last time, but they just don't have the quality. And I don't think they're going to be having a big January to try and turn it around in terms of investment. We, we, we could be we could be 2008 Derby areas here, right? They got five points after 15 games. They're getting worse. Like what is that? That translates to about twelve points over a thirty-eight game. They were a little bit better last night. They, I mean, they really, they really were. I only saw the, I only saw the like the the, the highlights. But the the number of times that they let a Liverpool cross just bounce, or 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 you know, or, or 
a free header 12 yards out. And this is this is like the you know I don't want to sound like some ex pro on Talksport, but these are the basics of football. You know you've got to defend your lot. You've got to defend <laughs> like, if you're a promoted team and you are not defending the area around your penalty spot when a cross comes in. Then literally, what is the point of view? Um, in, in other news, Johnny Lou, I need to ask you: Is there anything funny about twelve thirty kickoff? Well, <laughs> so I, 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 yeah, I mean, so this is this is in reference to Klopp, who who, who got you know some there, who got some some. It was, it was on. It was Amazon. Right? It was Amazon last night. Yeah, you know yeah. some some jokey question about twelve thirty kickoff. That's just he just loses it. So like, you 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 find this funny. You're professional. You find this funny. You know there, <laughs> like, there are certain things. You know we, we we got taught in our household. There were certain things you don't joke about. You know re- religion, uh, you know politics. You know like tragedy. <laughs> um, you know war, famine, death. Yeah. Uh, and and now we can add. You know I think we can add twelve thirty kickoffs to that. So that, you know, maybe there was a time in the past where, you know, joking about, in a, in a slightly less enlightened age where you could joke about 12.30 kickoffs, you know, you'd see comedians from the past making making gags about, you know, eating pasta for breakfast. Uh, but we, you know, we live in a different age now. What is, it's not acceptable to the, to the you know, people will rail about political correctness and, um, and you know, things going woke. But, you know, I, I think I think it's right that it's right that we have these these red lines as a society, that we have things that say, no, this is beyond the pale. This is beyond the boundaries of of, of good taste. And and um, you know, I'm I'm just glad that that Klopp has enforced that, you know, reinforced that line last mm, night. You can't see anything these days, can you? Just can't. Um <laughs> that's it for part two. In part three, more Premier League, and we'll also discuss the women's nations league. Welcome back to the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Brighton 2, Brentford 1. Uh, Jack Hinshelwood of the Hinshelwood Footballing Dynasty. Good to have another one. Uh, winning goal, 18 years old. Um, another cliche coming. Brighton with the great recruitment and the academy as well. Um, so Brighton, a deserved win. Strange stats that they're the first team to score and concede in each of their opening 15 games of a top flight campaign since Wolves did this in each of their first 16 matches back in 1934-35. And I'm sure if Wilson was here, uh, he'd tell us about the manager Frank Buckley's gung-ho style. Uh, That's good research from producer Joel there. Um, Nos, they seem to be finding their inner Brighton again after a bit of time in the wilderness, Brighton. Yeah, no, definitely, and 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 it's interesting what you said before about uh, Steve Cooper sort of possibly being up for the for a job, but then not getting sacked. Uh, I think I think with Deserby, like he was he was a uh, he was linked to too many troublesome clubs like like Manchester United and Chelsea, and he thought like let's have a bit of poor form here just to sort of knock myself out of the running for those two messes. Um, so no, he's he's successfully done that, and uh, and now Brighton can go back to being. Uh, good again. I think. Uh, I think they did really well. I mean, there was like a. I, I know all sort of all all teams seem to have like uh, injury crises at the moment, but um, I think I think this game like the was it was like nearly twenty absentees in this game. So 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 I think I think I think uh, Brighton did well. well. Both teams did well considering all the all the players that were that were missing. But uh, but no, like and, and that stat about uh, goals conceded and scored again that just points to. The fact that whenever Brighton play, um, you kind of look forward to to the game. Whenever they're on telly or whatever, you kind of like, well, well, at least this will be a a good game. And uh, and yeah, the and when they when they win, that's a bonus. So yeah, very 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 good. But 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 also like like I, I was I was desperate for Deserby to sort of do a 
outlandish celebration again, just to sort of like double down and and annoy Arsenal fans. But he, he didn't. He, he kind of held back. But uh, but yeah, they still hold. I'm sure that's in the post, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. not, isn't it? Yeah, Brentford are, are surely up there with the how many injuries we've got uh, competition. Balcom, Hickey, Ayer, Collins, Henry, De Silva, Norgard, Jensen, Sharder. Um, Tony unavailable, although will be available soon. Damsgaard and then Bumo came off injured in this game. Uh, did score a penalty, but they've got Ethan Pinnock, so they're going to be absolutely fine, as, as we know. We're stands here on the Guardian Football Weekly for Ethan Pinnock. Uh, Wolves won, Burnley nil. Uh, Huang with the only goal. Um, Burnley started quite well. And looked like they were going to build on their good five nil win uh, over Sheffield United at the weekend until Wolves scored just before half time. Um, well, it, it looks like it's going to be it is going to be a season of struggle for Burnley, isn't it? Despite that that really good win at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, they've, the goal they conceded with they were architects of their own downfall. That's how they're going to play. They're going to pass out from the back, and it's not always going to work because they're, they're not a Manchester City level side. Um, and it was a mistake, and that is unfortunate. But company's got, not going to change. We've all accepted that. I was at the. West Ham game where they were one nil up going into the 86 minute, and then West Ham equalised, and I was like, oh, "I'm not going to rewrite my intro here. I think this is going to this is going to end up two one, and it did. So that was convenient. Um, yeah, they're, they're lacking Premier League quality. Jay Rodriguez is up front again. They beat Sheffield United five nil, and that's and fair play to them and whoever else does that this season. But yeah, it's a, it's going to be a struggle because they've got a lot of young players, limited Premier League experience. Most of the players that have got Premier League experience, the last time they were in the Premier League, they got relegated. Um, you know, Sanderberg, Charlie Taylor, Brownhill, Goodmanson. You know, they've got a young goalkeeper. It's it's going to be very difficult for them, and you know, <laughs> pragmatism won't allow company to change to a slightly more robust. Style, I guess. Um, but, you know, they'll be entertained to watch. They'll win a few games. But it's going to be a, an interesting struggle between that bottom four. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I hope they stay up and maybe they can build on it. But, yeah, I think it'll, the problems with Burnley go back to some sort of very average recruitment in the summer, I'd say. And, you know, very much sticking to the model they, they want to. And sometimes it's not always black and white when it comes to signing players with a few grey areas. And maybe those grey areas are getting a bit more Premier League experience in. But... You know, we'll see how they go. Mm. It was another really good finish from Huang, his eighth of the season uh, for Wolves. Just on a wider point, out of the three releg- uh, promoted teams, I should say, who do you think is going to make the best fist of staying up, Johnny? I mean, just from uh, from what I've seen, it looks like Luton just have that little bit about them, maybe not the quality, but the sort of mentality, maybe. No, I think it is Luton. And I think it's a, it's a combination of the fact that uh, Kenilworth Road is such a, is such a tough place to go. You know, uh, you know, Liverpool have struggled there. I think City go there uh, this weekend. Uh, and obviously Arsenal as well. Uh, and the fact that, you know, they've, they have this, they have this blend of, uh, they've, they've, they've signed experience, you know, they've, they've signed kind of, you know, Premier League quality and, you know, the likes of, Barkley and, and Andros Townsend, but they haven't they haven't kind of gone overboard on it. They've just sort of sprinkled it through the team like like um like grated cheese. So they they still have essentially uh the core of uh the the the, the, the squad that, that got them up from the championship. And that comes with, you know, what we talked about earlier, like a defined identity. Um and when when times are tough, you know, they will go through a spell where they probably don't win in ten or fifteen. That defined style, you know, building up 
building up through the you know the wing backs and and swinging crosses in and just being being really solid and 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 scrapping for for second balls that that will kind of stand them in good stead uh i think more than the other two sides who i i think have a you know obviously burnley have a defined style they they really do lack quality sheffield united i don't know what they're trying to do at all um but when i i still i still kind of expect all three of them to go down but i think luton are are currently making the best fist of it to the Women's Nations League. Um, so the two scorelines that mattered in terms of Team GB failing to qualify, England 6, Scotland 0, uh, but Netherlands 4, Belgium 0, a real roller coaster. Um, England uh, went into this needing to better Netherlands score by three goals or more. They were six still up, but then full-time at Hampden Park and Netherlands scored another uh, to mean that it's the Netherlands who go through uh, to the Nations League finals, which was the way that Team GB were going to qualify uh, for the uh, Olympics in Paris. Um, you're you're no stranger to a controversial statement, Johnny. Scotland were, of course, saying we will not roll over, we will not lose this <laughs> because we are motivated to beat England, and that this sort of suggestion that because it's Team GB and some of our players might make the squad, it won't. It makes no difference to us. I don't think they did it. They just they just weren't very good, were they? No, exactly. But I think you can't you can't give it the big I am. You can't give it all this about oh you you can't question our integrity uh, and then defend like that. I just I just <laughs> it just doesn't sit right, you know. And I'm not I'm not questioning their you know their sporting integrity, but I think you can definitely uh, c- contest their defensive integrity. I, to be fair to them, I mean they once they went you know. I guess five nil down. They they actually they played all right. They, they they actually had quite a few chances to make it to make it five one. They certainly didn't lie down. I think um, there, there is there's, it's, it's a really inconsistent um, side, and um, th- th- for all the talent in it, I, I don't think you know. I, I don't think they can produce results on a consistent basis. I think you know they they've, they're going to get relegated to League B now or whatever it is, um, and you know England England just r- ran over them and. You know there is this debate about whether it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good summer to miss. Um, but I, I think you know, if if you if you talk to if you talk to Wiegmann afterwards or you, the players, they clearly wanted to play in Paris. It's like there's something special about an Olympic Games, and, and maybe maybe you don't get it so much in in this country where you know England are constantly competing in international tournaments. But the Olympics is special, and particularly in women's football, it holds a, it holds a real special place in the heritage of the game and the growth of the game, and. You know, they, they might, you know, people might be putting on a bit of a brave face now, but um, when they turn on their telly next summer and, uh, and England aren't in it, it's going to hurt. Mm. Well, Ellen White was part of our team and that was the thing that really interested me was because obviously I was thinking, oh, we know good, they'll get a rest and is it that big a deal? But when she played for Team GB, she said it was such an amazing experience because you're in the Olympic Village kind of mixing with all the other athletes and that was the experience that she really, really enjoyed. Um, Nos, would you like to take the Barry Glendenning Question here. Lauren James is good, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's, uh, there was a, the, the, uh, at least there was no sort of uh, um, photo on, on social media by her brother where like she's cropped out and he's like centre frame. So, so, so that was good. No, I, I, I mean, I mean, does that happen? Yeah, he tweeted something. I'm so proud of my sister or something. And uh, there was she was like half cropped out of the picture and he was he was sort of like uh, the centre of it. But uh, but yeah, no, it, I, I mean, the, the thing I, the thing I loved about that that six nil game was uh, as much as obviously Scotland got thrashed, like every save, every tackle was 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 uh, was worth it because because ultimately like one more goal 
would have made all the difference. So it just goes to show that you can get absolutely mauled, but uh, but it does matter. Every 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 save, every sort of last ditch tackle, every every block. Um, it it was worth it just to just to piss on on England's parade. So <laughs> I love that, and 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 and, and, and also. Um, and again, like like I, I I absolutely don't mean this in in a in a, in a patronizing way, but I, I love the fact that uh, again on social media it was such a big thing. Like everyone was everyone was invested. There was there was other there was other games happening at the same time, but uh, certainly on on my timeline, everyone was talking about this game and, and the drama again. Um, I mean, it's bittersweet because because on the one hand, like it's it was amazing that everyone was invested and 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 drama like this just. Uh, amplifies uh, women's football even more but then you kind of obviously you do kind of think especially in this country selfishly uh the olympics would have been would have been great uh, just to have that sort of involvement but uh but yeah no it was uh, uh i mean i mean any any sort of like uh the more the more shithousery in women's football the better agreed agreed more <laughs> of that please um, yeah well, I'm not sure if you have a view on this but the whole team gb thing actually does seem to cause quite a lot of problems um, not not least because they were put in the same group, which probably could have been avoided, but um, just generally, really does seem to um, cause a few issues. Yeah, I mean, it's in men's football. Team GB is obviously had London 2012, but it's never been a thing, and no one, no one really cares. But it, it is the biggest event. It, well, it was one of the biggest events for women's football. You know, I spoke to Karen Carney recently, and she loved it and desperate that England. Uh, Got there to to help G- Team GP qualify, but yeah, it's a very weird situation of how it's done. Like, surely, if any of the four nations come top, they should, or you know, come in a qualifying position, then Team GP should qualify. But yeah, it was a very poorly organised on every level, and you know, it's it's just a very strange concept that you know one team, four teams become one for for a major tournament. I mean. Might need to might need to review how the qualifications done because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, that'll do for today, I think. Um, just a word on Christine Sinclair's retirement from international football. Um, finished an astonishing career in front of forty eight thousand fans at BC Place Stadium, uh, temporarily renamed Christine Sinclair Place. Uh, Canadian international, three hundred and thirty one caps, one hundred and ninety international goals a record. Um, Johnny Lou is on the move, leaving his hotel. Um, can we follow you for the rest of the day, Johnny? Do you think this is quite exciting? I'd love to, but I'm about to get into the lift and uh, I think, <laughs> I'm not sure the Wi-Fi is going to hold out. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, lovely. Lo- oh shit, almost missed the lift. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep this going. But uh, Johnny, um, thank you so much for your time and hope you catch your train. Cheers. Thank you, Will. Thank you very much. And Joey Barton thinks you did very well today, Robin. Well done. Oh, thank you, sir. That means a lot. That means a lot. Yeah. Have my dad, my dad will write in as well, like like Ramsdale's dad. That's what, that's the thing now, isn't it? Um, Noz, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, and, and can I can I can I just say to the to Australia and uh, North London that I like I'm a massive fan of a uh, of Big Ange. Just for, just for a bit of balance, because 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 like when when we ask questions on social media, like I, I was I was kind of shocked by the torrent of like, oh, is there going to be more propaganda? So yeah, I'm just I'm just on the other. I'm with you guys. All I've been imagining since that tweet is Johnny being in the British Embassy in Australia, sort of Alan Bart Simpson getting booted through a gate. <laughs> <laughs> With a humongous boot. Yeah, jo- Johnny seems to have gone now. The Wi-Fi's gone there. We can say what we want about it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, a lot of people have been saying the anti-USA agenda is, is nothing now compared to the anti-Aussie one. Max will be back and he, that, that will certainly... Uh, improve on that on that scale on monday but we'll be back tomorrow thank you so much for listening football weekly is produced by joel grove and our executive producer is max sanderson this is the guardian 